Hello and welcome to Just Talk Educational Equity, the podcast about social justice and how it relates to everything education. I'm your host, Tony Neal. And I'm your co-host, Deborah Bullman. Today's topic is part two of Healing for Healers with studio guest, Brittini Gray, who is sharing one of her poems. I sat and spoke with a man who said, when oppression is eradicated in 20 years, my facial expression must have read all of my fears because he had just told me of the 12-year-old girl who went to the pool but left with a broken jaw and cracked rib that the police thought was cool and they keep playing us in the media for a fool, ignoring the crimes against those in black bodies while making white women in blackface our hobby. So I sit here talking about being young, poor, and black in a hypothetical like it's not whack for bones to be cracked and police to continue to receive slack. But when black people fight back, then the conversation is about what we lack, not how we endure in the face of ongoing trauma. And I ain't talking about no yo mama drama, but over 400 years of being brutalized and misutilized is straight up genocide that we wouldn't dare call it that. Let's stop the bullshit because there is no rationalizing it. So I just wish people would quit. Because what can be the reason of people in worship on a Wednesday night being legitimately killed in their house of worship? So no, don't go ahead because I will not wait. I am tired of waiting and constantly debating and standing in spaces where I am creating a safe place for white people to process their feelings and all of our race dealings from an intellectual point of view. I can no longer take you. Cry for my people when they die. Cry for my people when they die. Just cry. Just cry when they die. Cry for my people. If you can just cry for my people when they die, that will be enough. Until you're ready to get in the rough stuff. Save your words and your rationale. Because I have no more space for it. That's so powerful and so authentic. So raw and real it's a it's an essential message cry for my people yeah it's it's one that hits you at the visceral level i could kind of feel it like deep down um wow wow what was your thought or inspiration i don't even know if inspiration is the word Mm -hmm. for writing a, Mm -hmm. a piece that is that you know Yep, I wrote it um, the morning after the Emanuel Nye massacre happened. I was in D.C. at a conference to do um, poetry, and um, I couldn't sleep, so I had to write um, just to be able to have some peace of mind to go up to perform after a restless night. Um, And that's kind of, you know, what came out. I was set to do um, poetry for a panel on the criminal criminalization of blackness and um yeah I just I I was you know it came a year after Ferguson and just still being raw from all that was going on here in St. Louis and the swell of what was happening nationally um and at that time I was kind of dealing with my own relationship with the church and um, just feeling heartbroken um, and enraged all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that piece out there? uh, Yeah, um, it's on YouTube. Um, 
and Facebook, and it'll be featured in Activist Theology this fall, um, a book collaboration that I worked on with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's powerful. So your work goes in a lot of different directions, Mm -hmm. clearly. Yes. Um, And so as the old English teacher and, uh, you know, a little bit of writing on my own I'm it's um it's kind of a beautiful thing to see how you have all of these directions mm-hmm. that your voice is going mm-hmm. um how essential is writing to that experience? um writing was my way of processing trauma so I started writing poetry when I was nine um you read in my bio that I'm from the west side of Chicago and I love Chicago, um, but it was a very kind of rough experience to grow up. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, go to school in a different community, but what that did was kind of open my eyes to what was going on in my community in a probably deeper way than most eight- and nine-year-olds were thinking about it. Um, So I, I started tutoring when I was eight, and... I was tutoring people who were for great levels above me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so educational inequity has always been important to me since a child um, for that very reason. And um, witnessing, you know, consistent police brutality, uh, the educational piece, dealing with just seeing how mental illness manifests, being untreated in communities. Uh, Like, I started writing because I was like, oh, well, I don't know what the heck to do with all of this, so let's just put it on paper. Uh, I mean, it's been very crucial in my life. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, our young people, how important it is for them to just be able to put things down on paper. And so often in schools, our teachers are worried about, did you get that period right? Did you get that comma mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But they just need to put their thoughts down. Mm-hmm. We, you know, all that other can come later, but just it's just a way of um, healing. Yeah. It's, it's a way of healing. Mm-hmm. So that's so important. And certainly you know that as an English teacher. Uh, agreed. And every time someone chooses to release their identity through their voice into the world and share it with other people, that's a gift. Yeah. It's yeah. a gift. It, it enlarges the humanity of every person that hears that and allows themselves to be touched by that. Right. It's one of the reasons that we start every single episode of our podcast with a youth voice. Usually it's, uh, you know, a student age or, you know, kind of a young, really young adult voice in some form of poetry, mm-hmm. because I do think that's where people's expressions of hope and mm-hmm. and and fear and you know, just everything that they're experiencing in the world come out. And the idea is by putting that first in our podcast that we remember as educators, that is whom we're serving. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. thank you for sharing that. No problem. Thank you. Well, let's continue with our uh, deep dive. Uh, we have with us um, Brittany Gray. And you probably heard uh, our previous episode, and uh, we want to continue with uh, just discussing healing and get into what are some practices that perhaps uh, some of you that are listening uh, can get involved with. I'm sure that um, at some point you have experienced some type of drama or uh, trauma in your life, 
and uh, we want to make sure that we're trying to heal the world. Uh, I know that's a big uh, task to take on, but I believe if we start, you know, one household at a time, one uh, community at a time, one neighborhood at a time, uh, that we can uh, impact the wide world. And so uh, we want to get into to some of that. So, Bertini, I know you've done a lot of work in uh, school districts. Could you maybe talk about some of the work you've done in schools um, to help them become address a need for healing institutionally mm-hmm. and as a community? Mm-hmm. Yep. So before I uh, decided to become independent, I worked with an organization that was focused on looking at um, criminalization of youth through multiple systems. So um, schools, police, um, as well as the courts. And with the schools, it was particularly um, how do we reduce suspensions? Um, But for me, the call to, you know, put a moratorium on suspensions or to reduce them wasn't enough. There needed to be um, something else offered with that. And so... um, work to ensure that trauma-informed practices um, was an aspect of what school districts agreed to when they agreed to also address suspensions. And, um, you know, in the time that I was there, we had five school districts that made that commitment to um, not only look at their suspensions, but also to implement better trauma-informed care within their buildings. What are some of the things that um, districts ha- need to do or that students need from us as educators in mm-hmm. order for them to be able to be more successful in schools and for them to experience some healing mm-hmm. in their own lives? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, as we were talking earlier, I brought up um, having spaces where students can actually access um, therapists and social workers in the school building. Um, Unfortunately, that is not the norm in all of our districts in the region. So making sure that um, schools have the resources to be able to do that is one of them. Um, Another is um, what are the cares for just like the day-to-day needs of students? Do you provide breakfast? Do you have, um, you know, what Jennings was starting to provide a lot of, um, having a washer and dryer be available for students, um, having access to um, um, places where they can go and meditate or practice mindfulness, like actually having rooms. So instead of having in-school suspensions, you have mindfulness rooms. So different practices that districts can employ that, One, require resources, and two, just require ingenuity and creativity. Mm -hmm. What efforts have been put into, because we spend a lot of time focusing on students, and rightfully so. However, students can be re-traumatized by some things that go on in their homes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to kind of tackle this from all ends, if you will. And what has been done to bring families and to bring, you know, some of the things that go on at home that causes some of the trauma. Um, we have to heal the home as well. It's not too good for this. Well, it's good for the students to heal uh, when they're at school or to, you know, in that space, but to go home and experience, you know, being yelled at or having to take care of siblings and forced into certain situations and, you know, some of the things that, that traumatize kids in the home, 
you know, and the kid is a student is in that middle space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure. That's yeah. a great question um, that I think would be posed to superintendents to yeah. ask what they're doing in terms of the family piece. Uh, I do agree that attending to the entire family unit is just as important to attending to the care of the student, though. Yeah. 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 Well, and we know in schools, you know, you can test for it and find it that students living in poverty or in high poverty areas like um, urban centers, those are just more challenging experiences. And they're, you know, it's just harder for them to achieve academically. You see it over and over again. And people want to blame the schools at the same time. I think it's a breakdown in the way that society cares for those in need. And... um, well, we can, there's a lot to talk about here, but I think let's talk about uh, teachers and educators, uh, the people in the classroom. I think there's a component there, too, where um, those people are bringing damaged spirits or they're bringing emotional exhaustion into their settings. What are the kind of things that we need to do for our educators and our professionals in order to lift them up and give them the kind of uh, support and experience of wholeness that they need in order to provide for the uh, children in their care? Yeah, I'm um I'm a huge proponent for wellness retreats for um, teachers and staff. So in addition to professional development, like a lot of schools have moved to making sure that staff um, and faculty are trained in terms of trauma, but we're not providing them with also spaces to heal. And so it's like, okay, great, we're going to give you all of these tools and resources to be able to identify if your students are um, triggered or have gone through a traumatic event. But, like, if the teacher is having to constantly deal with that, like, what's the release and outlet for them? So I, I think school districts need to start reconsidering what is it what does it look like for teachers to also, you know, have paid wellness retreats um, for there to be healing circles incorporated into some of that professional development time um, as well. Yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is um, the lens. We talk about the lens of healing, but also the uh, restorative justice you know, and, and how does that how does that all go together? I'm also thinking some of the ways that teachers and administrators are re-traumatized. You know, I was a high school principal in East St. Louis for 11 years, and you know, not having the resources that you want to you know have for your teachers and your your students. You know, to me that was traumatizing because I was putting my best foot forward. I loved my my kids, right. and you know, I wanted to the best, but I'm not given the resources. You know, and so. Um, that's re-traumatizing. Uh, you know, so th- just some some of the simple things. Crowded classrooms. You know, to walk mm-hmm. into classrooms and you have forty students mm-hmm. in a small space and not enough books, or you know, all of that is 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 re-traumatizing. So, you know, we have to heal teachers and administrators, and we have to heal students, and you know, in order to heal the school. So that's that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, it all goes together. We, mm-hmm. we definitely are connected in a web. Right. And um, when we act as if, you know, the educational leaders are some sort of machines, if we don't recognize their humanity mm-hmm. as well as the mm-hmm. humanity of our students, um, you, you just can't have a healthy functioning community. Right, right. 
Unfortunately, I think that we continue to see that that we just do not value um, education as a whole um, the way that we think we do. Um, and it's evident in how we resource and fund it um, for teachers to continue to be so under-resourced, uh, um, understaffed in terms of the support that they need in the classroom, um, for students to have to continue to be subject to inequitable environments. Um, you know, for us to be having this conversation right now about what a city-county oh, yeah. merger looks like um, in terms of St. Louis city and county. I know we're in St. Charles right now, but um, and not to have school districts as part of that conversation, right. um, I think highlights the continued um, lack of value that we really have for education. Yeah. Yeah, we can go in all kind of directions. We can talk about what's happening with the well, the the past shutdown and what's happening in Washington. That's a whole another podcast. That's right. That's uh, right. You know, and how that plays into traumatizing uh, just individuals and, and the whole situation. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel the need right now to take a kind of healing breath because this is just. Yeah, when you start mm-hmm. to think about it, it's really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But I think what we have to do is, one, is that what does it mean to take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, so that we can stay in the fight mm-hmm. and to focus in on the space that we occupy that we can work on. You know, whether I, I hear Brittany talking about, you know, working specifically, not totally, but with black women, you know, my work with black men. Uh, your work with maybe your white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at the large picture, it looks overwhelming, and you say, I can't do it. You get stressed. Blood pressure goes up. We know about that. Oh, boy. And um, Cancer. It, you start to look at, you know, just your space. Mm-hmm. And so if you're working here and here and here, and uh, you know, I think it's doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm holding out hope. Yeah. Yeah, I'm holding out hope. So what happens when um, trauma is uh, repressed? What are some of the things that, that we see? Wow. Um, yeah, I think it manifests in um, violence, particularly, which we see across the country um, in, in students that definitely looks like acting out in the classroom. Um, oftentimes we, we take that to signify that, you know, a child is just misbehaving and doesn't want to be there. But oftentimes that's a, an effect of the, um, trauma that they've experienced. Um, I would say as we continue on, it looks like definitely health problems, um, increased stress for women, black women, especially, um, it can, contributes to the lower birth rates and higher infant mortality. Mm. Um, it contributes to um, uh, heart attacks and uh, high blood pressure. So there are, I would say, both communal impacts as well as like our own physical well-being that gets impacted from it. Um, and I also think it just affects how we are able to really be in community with one another. Um, it doesn't allow for us to like authentically engage in a way where we can trust and um, really feel safe. And, you know, there's a hypersensitivity and, and hypervigilance that comes when um, you're consistently dealing with trauma um, that just doesn't uh, allow for us to be able to connect in ways that I think we um, should be as humans. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
When I think about what that looks like in a classroom and if if the adult in a classroom is trying to put up those barriers and trying to protect themselves, mm-hmm. um, that they, they can't be vulnerable mm-hmm. and they can't be open to perceiving what's going on around them in a generous way. Mm-hmm. And that's essential when you're working with young people. Mm-hmm. You must be generous in the way that you receive them. And if you're so concerned about, be, because you need to be, if you're so concerned about your own protection, it's so difficult to, to open up that door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, Brittany, I know you have been out there on what I'll call the battlefield for some time mm-hmm. and uh, really working to heal the community. I follow you, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily follow you, but I have uh, just watched, um, you know, some of the things that you've done and been in some of the places that you have facilitated uh, certain workshops and trainings, and uh, it's just incredible what you do. What do you do to take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much. (laughs) That's good. Uh, It takes so much to maintain. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Um, So... I'll talk about the stuff that costs, and then I'll talk about the stuff I do that doesn't cost. Oh, there you go. So I see um, an acupuncturist twice a month, every two weeks. Um, I tend to carry a lot of my stress in my shoulders and my back, so acupuncture helps focus on those pressure points and keep that um, stress a little lower. I also see a chiropractor. I do yoga, um, and I have a personal trainer. So all of those are kind of like my wellness, um, part of my wellness regime. And try to focus on, like, eating better. Um, I have had a lot of kind of medical problems over the years that I've been here in St. Louis. Um, A few years ago, I had a cyst removed that was mm, the size of a softball. Mm. Like, that's pretty huge. So um, focusing on my own, like, health and well-being has really become central over the past couple of years for me. And then, you know, basic things like I take a bath every week or so. Um, I I have people like you are like one of the few people I know who still take baths. Well, this is part of my healing practices. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I... Try to get me in, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of meditation a day. Um, I I do silent retreats when I feel like um, I can't hear my own thoughts and I'm kind of crowded with what's going on in the world. So I'll take some time away from um, urban environments. And I um, um, try to make sure I'm always fostering community around me. So whether that's having kickbacks or girl nights or some kind of potluck with some folks who, you know, company I enjoy, that's just as much a healing practice as is the acupuncture. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. That takes, that's a lot. <laughs> that's, you know, that that's a lot. And just and having been over to the center where you work, mm-hmm. just being in that space mm-hmm. is, is somewhat healing. You you've got to visit it, Deborah. It's uh, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just the 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 atmosphere and the decoration and mm-hmm. the people there and the the energy. It's it's. I don't know what to, what else to say about it. It's wow. just incredible. Well, Shout I see they have a White Caucus uh, 
event yeah. there. It's coming uh, up soon. So I'll have to come over and yeah. see what's going on. That yeah. sounds beautiful. Yeah. How about the people that um, inspire you? You know, we all have people we look up to that we admire, people, you know, who just help to shape us and who maybe serve as role models. What, who are some of those people for you? Um, definitely the women in my life. Um, my grandma, Jessie Ree, she just moved to Ohio. I've been kind of depressed about it because <laughs> yeah. she's not as easily accessible as being in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is has been my kind of role model since childhood. Um, but also pull inspiration from my mom and my little sister, um, who is about to be 18 this month. Oh, so shout out to Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you know, the women who I'm engaged in to work with, um, I, I would say in terms of like, Larger people um, who aren't personal in my life, I um, I love Maya Angelou. May she rest in peace. Um, Angela Davis. I mean, you know, freedom fighting black women um, who have been able to sustain themselves over the decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you would mention Maya Angelou because um, she's one of my mm-hmm. uh, people too that I look to to sort of guide guide me in the way I think and live. And um, and I was thinking about her today before mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. were coming over here and and realizing when I read her full set of autobiographies, you know, I there was one summer where um, and. Ironically, it was the summer that she died. So mm-hmm. I was in the process of reading all of her autobiography pieces. I think they're like seven. Mm-hmm. And um, they're beautifully written. You know, she writes as a poet, but all of the experiences that she went through in her life. And at any given point, you know, somebody could go through that hardship and could say, oh, well, that's it. Who could overcome that? And she does. She takes the next step, and she's always taking another step and another step and doing so with such grace and hope and bringing light in whatever situation she's in. It just um, is a real inspiration for perseverance. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, last we were speaking of just inspiration. Last night I flew in from uh, Kansas City. I was there all week. And there was this little girl sitting next to me. She's probably about eight or nine years old. Uh, she was in the middle seat. So she was reading a book, and I didn't really pay too much attention to what she was reading until she closed the book when we were getting ready to land. And she was re- reading Michelle Obama's book, nice. Michelle and Me. Yes. And I was like, wow. And so I said, you like that book? And she said, oh, it's so good, you know. And we didn't have time to go into conversation because mm-hmm. it was time. But, you know, it was like, wow. And she's no no more than nine or ten years old. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Reading the book. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. So it kind of brought a smile to my face. It was mm. like, that's, that's what's needed. That's what's needed. Well, I think we've come to the close of our second episode here with uh, Brittany Gray. I want to thank you again for being with us and uh, importing some great information around trauma. Uh, hopefully, individuals uh, can use some of that information and uh, go and get some of the resources that um, was outlined and uh, put, to, put into practice uh, some of those things. Um, want to give us to your website. Empower Institute, www.empower, that's I N 
P-O-W-E-R-Institute.com. And our number is 314-832-1669. And you can come visit us at 4125 Humphrey Street on the south side. In St. Louis. And for those of you outside St. Louis, um, contact the Empower Institute. I'm sure we can connect you with some resources where you live. Thank you, Bertini. It's been an honor and a pleasure to meet you and hear from you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This has been Tony Neal, your host. And Deborah Bowman, your co-host and podcast producer and director. Bringing you Just Talk Educational Equity. Special thanks to our guest, Bertini Gray, for joining us for the past two episodes to help us understand the topic of healing. We appreciate that you found us today, and we invite you to share your comments and questions and suggestions on our website at EEC, the number four, Justice, and leave us an email there on our contact page. Also, we're asking if you enjoyed today's podcast, please find us on iTunes and leave us a rating. You can help other people find us that way, and we appreciate your support. Just Talk has been brought to you by Educational Equity Consultants, a company that provides training to build the capacity of individuals, schools, and other organizations to address racism in ways that enable all people to reclaim their inherent intelligence and nobility. Recording, editing, music, and logo provided by Alvin Zamudio. So if you're a teacher or school leader, a student, a parent, or a community member concerned about social justice, please remember, just just talk. talk.